Beautifully done. Good words. Thank you so much. All right. First Timothy, or 2 Timothy chapter 3. I was looking in my notes, and as I was studying this this week, I didn't know Brother Mark was going to be here. And uh, Mark pre-saw this text in April of 2010. Also, Rick Sow preached here this same text, April of 2011. And then I looked down here, the last one, Roger Henson preached this, same text, not message, 122715, and Brother Henson preached on ending good, and he did end good. And folks, that ought to be all our desires to end good. What I have to preach to you tonight, I believe, will help us all end good, okay? So I have to ask all the gentlemen here, all the men of Parkview, put on your big boy pants tonight. Ladies, straighten your culottes and your skirts, because we're going to get into something that I think will help us all. Endure, they that endure the end shall be okay, okay? That's what we're going to do tonight. But 2 Timothy chapter 3, I want to preach tonight on this subject. Believers out of fellowship. Believers out of fellowship. 2 Timothy chapter 3, take a look at the first couple verses, we'll drop down. He said, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. I'm going to stop there. That's my, I want to draw your attention. Men should be lovers of their own selves. But we're there today. Amen. Even among God's people. It's all about them. It's all about what they want, but not what God wants. We pick up the reading in chapter 4. Same thoughts come across the page for time. I'm not reading it all tonight. But chapter 4, verse 9. Paul goes on and he says... Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me, for Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed into Thessalonica, Cretans to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for these words penned so long ago, preserved by you for us today. We thank you for our Bible. I pray, dear God, tonight that we, the people of God here at Parkview Baptist Church in Livonia, Michigan, will hear your message and, Lord, more importantly, importantly heed what you have to say to them, to, to us, Lord, for the message is to me as well. Thank you for the singing we've heard tonight, the worship we've had now, Lord, help us now to sit in and listen to what you have to say to us. Help us to take it with grace. And help us, Lord, to plant it deep in our hearts. Tonight, I pray, Lord, for change. I pray for commitment. I pray for holy consecration for each and every one of us. Lord, grant it, I pray, through the preaching of your word. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The text tonight is in regards, of course, to Paul to Timothy, his faithful comrade in the ministry. And he had various issues upon his heart that were troubling him. Can you think for a moment that the Apostle Paul had things troubling him? We think a lot of times that uh, the great men of God in the Bible didn't have any problems. Well, uh, you, you don't read your Bible then. They had their own personal problems. They had family matters. They had fears. They had anxiety. They had all kinds. They, they had a plethora of issues that were in their own hearts and lives, but yet God had called them to minister to others. So the Apostle Paul is getting ready to build up this young Timothy for the work that God had for him. The Apostle Paul had been the elder brother, of course, of Timothy and his mentor. He saw things in Timothy that blessed his heart and encouraged him in difficult seasons through his ministry years. But 2 Timothy chapter 3 speaks of perilous times that would come upon the church, upon all the saints, and upon Paul and upon Timothy. So he takes the time to write to his young assistant to warn him about some things. Because he's about to go through some discouraging times, even dark things. And uh, God knew that, or Paul knew that God wanted to use Timothy in a great way in his spiritual work. Things that would last for a lifetime and then beyond, even to us tonight that read the letter. He mentions evil times. 
Paul mentions treachery, spiritual dullness that he saw coming on the horizon. He spoke of several hindrances. And one of the hindrances that Paul had to deal with was discouragement of those that quit, of those that got cast away, that those that got dull on God, that threw in the towel, that gave up. Paul then writes through his trials and his temptations about the Lord delivering us out of all our trials and how he did it was through faith in him. And so Paul writes this charge to Timothy. And the charge is to press on. The charge is to be faithful. The charge is to keep the faith and fight through all the trials that would come his way. And saints, they come our way. Sooner or later, tests, trials, temptations, God's will, God's work going on in spite of us. One of the most discouraging, again, things, the difficult things for Paul to endure and overcome was the Christian lives of people that disappointed Paul, that he had higher hopes for. He writes of people falling by the wayside. He says in our text, he said, Demoth hath forsaken me. Can't you see, can't you hear the brokenness of Paul in that statement? Having Love this present world. This world gobbles up so many Christians. I was talking to my wife the other day, looking back on almost 40 years of ministry, how many men of God have fallen, by the way. Christians have gotten out of sorts with God. Deacons and, and, and leaders and, and people that influenced and mentored me, they did not finish. And tonight I'm concerned for our church, for some that are showing signs and symptoms of being an out-of-fellowship believer. Here Paul speaks of Demas, but he also speaks about only Mark being with him, uh, only Luke being with him, how, and, and how uh, take Mark and bring him, for now he's profitable. There was a time Mark broke the heart of Paul. And of course, several others. We could go back in Scripture and see that disappointed this great man of God. He's speaking of others falling away and falling into sin and into worldliness and being disqualified for service. You know, I know lots of men and, that have worked for the Lord and they got out of sorts with God and they got out of the ministry. And the Bible says the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. They spend the rest of their years in regret, heartache. I pray to God it never happened to me. I pray to God that it never happened to you. It's difficult to march on with the Lord when you're watching people that you know and love get in sin, make, make bad decisions, make foolish decisions with their family, with their children, with their wives and, and, and friendships. And you know what? And they know better. What breaks my heart so many times is to see people do what they do and they know better. They were raised better. They've been in a good church. They've been under good preaching. They've had great men of God come in and preach revivals, and they still go and do these things. It breaks my heart. I understand, Paul. It's difficult to watch people live the way they live and sin and act out and live in the flesh and, of course, in the world. And Paul writes several things here to a man that worked alongside him and helped him in the good work of God, and he's trying to prepare him. He's trying to prepare him for what's coming ahead. Amen. He writes about men who he once fellowshiped with, co-labored with, and now they've departed. And sadly and tragically, they have become quitters. They have become disappointments to the Lord and to Paul and to the saints. I don't want to be that man. I don't want to be that Christian. I don't want an asterisk next to my name. Brother Brown did so-and-so for so long, and now look at him. I don't want that. And I know you don't want that. And I want to tell you tonight, listen, we got to be careful that we don't become believers out of fellowship with God and with the church and, and with and other people that we love. We don't want to do that. But tonight, I want to focus on how many believers the thought of have gone AWOL in the work of God. That Paul knew, that Paul respected, that Paul loved, that Paul admired. Tonight, I'll take a stab at this, even though you already heard Mark preach out of this text. And 
Brother Sal, according to my notes here at Parkview, and of course, Brother Roger Henson, many others. But stick with me as I preach tonight about believers out of fellowship. And let's make sure we're not one of them. Let's make sure. This is a message to help us not get to where other people are. In the Bible and throughout church history, there have been too many out of fellowship. Out of fellowship with God. Out of fellowship with the brethren. Out of fellowship with their own families. We use a term most generally called a backslider to describe them. The word backslider, I think, is only found three times in Scripture, and every time it's relating to Israel. But by application, we can use that term to talk about somebody that's on the outs, gotten away from God, gotten less faithful as where they used to be. Consider some of the characteristics tonight of a believer out of fellowship. And we have other words that we can use to describe them. A backslider, a quitter, a deserter, a dropout. Now, I'm going to deal just with four points tonight on this subject. And please, please, hear me out. Don't say, well, I knew it. I'd come to church tonight and preach, or preach on a hard message. Hey, then be here the other times I don't. Amen. Amen. If you happen to be here tonight and God's going to peel, peel the onion back and try to help you, that, then you ought to thank God for it. And I want to say one more thing before I get in this. I don't sit around my office or sit at home and think of how hard I can be or how difficult I can be and how mean I can be. That, that you don't know me. You don't know your pastor if you think that. But this is definitely a message that the Lord has given me for this hour. I don't know. Mark needs to get right with God. I don't know. He wasn't supposed to be here. Maybe it's for Mark. Pray he'll get right. Amen. It's more likely Liz, but we'll move on. But anyway. What kind of believers end up outside a Christian fellowship? You tell me, what kind of Christians are they? Hey, you know them, I know them. How'd they get there? What caused it? You know what some of them are? They were good men and women of God. More dedicated than maybe most of us. Served the Lord longer than most of us. But they're out of fellowship. What kind of a believer ends up? Out of fellowship. What's their MO? Their personal tendency? What, what was their life like? What are the telltale signs of a believer out of fellowship? And then I have to ask myself as I enter in this tonight, do I possess any of these characteristics? Do I possess any of the signs of a believer out of fellowship, at least maybe heading in that direction? And we don't understand it. We don't get it. We haven't grasped it. First thing I want to talk to you tonight in Genesis chapter 12. Turn there if you would. We're going to look at a disobedient believer. That's the first sign of someone out of fellowship with God. You know what? It has surprised you who it is. If you know your Bible, you're already ahead of me. But we're surprised at how many good, godly, powerful men of God got out of sorts with God. This one happens to be Abraham. Now notice what God told Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, and verse 1, Now the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, into a land that I will show thee. What's the next verse? And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curse thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. And Lot went with him. God didn't tell him to do that. Here's a great man, Abraham, father of the faith. He's one of the early leaders of Israel. We look to him as a man of God among men of God. But he was a disobedient believer. And look at verse 10 here. He says in verse 10, And there was a famine in the land, and Abraham went down into Egypt. To sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. Boy, he's making one bad decision after another. Hey, you go through some difficult times. You know what you're bound to do, Christian? If you're not walking with the Lord, if you're not praying, you're not really trying to really be used of God, you're, you're going to run into disobedience, and you're going to embrace it. And then you're going to go to the world to be your help. Abraham was disobedient. It's illustrated here. Abraham? Yes, Abraham. The great, the great patriarch, 
Abraham, the head of God's people, Israel, Abraham. God told him to get out of Haran, and, and he told him to, uh, to get away from his family and go and do God's bidding. Go and do God's will. Go and do God's work. And he got sidetracked by family. He took his nephew Lot with him. Saints, watch out for the hindrances that will come your way when you try to do something for God. You see, God knew Abraham's heathen background. He knew his upbringing. He knew what he could do with them and what he wanted to do with them. But he knew Abraham didn't need to stay where he was, and he didn't need to have his family go with him where God had sent him. God wanted Abraham, listen now, to shake off the influence of a heathen background. Genesis chapter 12, go, he says. Notice his disobedience. He, right from the get-go, he, he goes, but he doesn't go as directed. He takes with him Lot. Abraham unwisely decided to take Lot with him. Now, Lot is not mentioned in the plan of God. Lot was the nephew. He was a family member. He was a mistake. You can paint it any way you want to. Well, God and his sovereign will, he worked that all. Of course he could. God takes our mistakes and turns them around for good. But that doesn't mean that that's exactly what he wanted. Listen, Lot was nothing but trouble to Abraham. He was a pain in the neck. He was an albatross around his neck. That's an interesting statement. I didn't really know what it meant. I, I knew an albatross was a bird, but I didn't know what it meant. So I looked it up this week. This idiom, albatross around the neck, refers to someone that has hinders, that things that get in the way, things that become burdened, things that become too heavy to bear. It comes from a 19th century poem called The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. And the story goes, the poem goes, that an old seaman, while on a sea voyage, he killed an albatross with a crossbow. And all God's hunters said, ah, you missed it. But I don't know what he was thinking when he killed that albatross. Maybe he thought he could use it. Maybe aid him. Maybe help him. Maybe sustain him while he was at sea. I, I don't know. But the other mariners, they didn't appreciate it. It was a sign of bad luck. It was a curse. They told him not to, but he did it anyway. How many times have I told people not to do something, loving them as a pastor, and they go ahead and do it? Or I pull them aside and say, now if you keep going in this direction, you know what's going to happen? And they keep going in that direction. And all of a sudden, they got an albatross around their neck. It's a big bird, by the way. A big seabird. If it's been killed with a crossbow, it stinks. So you know what happened to it? It turns... It turns rancid, and it's, it's around your neck, and it stinks up your whole life. Things that God don't want us to carry around through life, but we do it. We do it. And so they were upset with him, and they, they tied this dead carcass of this large seabird around his neck in mob retaliation-like because of his disobedience, because of his foolishness, because of his unwise misdeeds. And the story goes on. That as they sailed on the same ship at sea and storms came and go, they were hit with all kinds of bad luck and they were hit with all kinds of dangers and they always would look at him with the albatross around his neck. You, buddy. You. And in no time the crew believed they were cursed because of the albatross around the neck. Each sailor began to die off one by one. An accident a storm sending many overboard, sickness throughout the ship, until all that's left is the lone seaman with the albatross around his neck. And you know what lifted the curse? When he bowed his knees finally to God in prayer, and when he lowered his head, the albatross fell off onto the deck of the ship, and he was freed from it. There's some of you out here tonight, you've been carrying albatross around your neck for months, years. And you say, bless God, I'm going to keep it. I'm going to hold it close to me. Man, go on. Get it off. Go forward. Serve God. Quit, quit allowing yourself to get out of fellowship with God and others and the work of God and the will of God for your life. Come on, saints. Amen. 
You go back to this and that, and this one offended me, and that one hurt me, and God didn't do this, and God allowed that. My goodness. Get the albatross off your neck and go and serve God. It's better to obey God and do his will. What if it's not what I want, Pastor? Then tough. Tough. Is he God or not? Is he Lord or not? Is he the one you say you love and want to serve or not? Abraham took Lot with him, and Lot became to be nothing but an albatross around his neck for a long time. Our text informs us that after Abraham decided to take Lot with him, that God sent a famine. And here's Abraham saying, let me see, should I go to the Lord in prayer? I'll tell you what, I'll go down to Egypt. I heard it's good over in Egypt. Saints, the world is not your friend. And here's what you do. You quit going to preacher. You quit going to a brother or sister in the Lord that knows and walks with God. And you start talking to those co-workers and people that live next door to you and other disgruntled Christians that have gotten out of God's will. And you'll find somebody to agree with you. You'll find somebody to pat you on the back and say, it's going to be all right. You know, some things come in our life that it doesn't get better. But is God bad? Is God unfair? Think on these things. Famine is not always a sign that we've done something wrong. Sometimes God judged people with famine. In the Bible, many times. But sometimes God allowed a famine for other reasons. Build their faith. Turn hearts. Turn continents to Christ. Sometimes we just need to suffer through some things. Suffer in some places because we know that God is always working in spite of our situations and circumstances. Saints, it's always better to obey God. First thing we see tonight of a believer out of fellowship with God is they're disobedient. Let me ask you a question. Are you obedient or disobedient to God? You say, well, it's not a big thing. It is a big thing. Obedience is key. Key to a, a well-lived Christian life. The second thought I have tonight is found in Genesis 13. One chapter over. Of course, we're talking about a lot a little bit more. In, in, in Genesis chapter 13, we're going to talk about deluded believers. What's a deluded believer? Well, they're deceived. They're fooled. In Genesis chapter 13 and verse 1, the Bible says, And Abraham went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him to the south. Drop down to verse 5. And Lot also went with Abram, and the flocks, and the herds, and the tents. And the land was not able to bear them, that they might dwell together, for their substance was great. So they, would not, so they could not dwell together, and there was strife. Between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle and the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelt there in the land. Now, why did God put that in there? I think God said, hey, the heathen are watching. People are watching us when we make our decisions. And Abraham said unto Lot, let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, and I pray thee from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. And if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld the plains of Jordan, that there was well, there was well watered everywhere. Before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even of the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt that cometh unto Zoar, then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east. And they separated themselves one from another. And Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan. Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent. Watch it. Toward Sodom. The deluded brother. The deluded believer. Here we see that Lot has an opportunity to travel one of the greatest men of God that was on the face of the earth at that time and has been since. And he couldn't get along with the spiritual man. You know, within you, you have two natures. You've got your inner man. You've got the Holy Spirit of God 
you got the old fleshly view. And far too often, we're letting the old fleshly man run us. We let the emotion rule us. We let the flesh and the things of the world rule us. And when God wants to do anything in our life or any, any life connected to us, then we get upset. We want to depart. And oftentimes, a lot of God's people get out of church over things just like this. They're deluded. They're acting foolish. They're being deceived. Deceived. When you go down to Egypt, they're going to deceive you. The world is not your home. I hope you're listening. I hope you're not checking on the, the, the score of a football game or something. Please. Oh, I'm, I'm using my Bible app. Okay, I'll believe you. But Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom. He had a way, of, a, a, a way of leaning the wrong direction in his choices. What's Lot's mistake? He looked at the well-watered plains. He got his eye on the world. He got his eye on what they were doing. He got his eye and said, you know, I think it's better over there. So I'm going to take my wife and I'm going to take my children. And we're going to go live over there. We know the end of the story. He longed after the wrong things for himself and for his family. Listen, family, be careful. Listen, parents, be careful. If you have in your heart just to gather up all the things of this world, have yourself a nice life this side of eternity, you're going to be disappointed. Amen. Thank you, young man. Appreciate it. Got one spiritual person in this place tonight. He encouraged dwelling. God encouraged dwelling in tents, but everybody else said, hey, Lot, get you get your house. And we know the story. He went into that wicked city of Sodom, the most wicked city at his time. And he didn't think, oh, I want to go in there and I'm going to really have myself a life. My kids are going to have everything that I've always wanted them to have. Oh, sure. And he thought, none of this stuff that I'm seeing is going to rub off on my kids. You have read the story. He and his family, they lean towards Sodom. If you lean in one direction too long, you're going to go in that direction eventually. I'll question that. What, what direction are you leaning? More in or more out? Huh? How are you leading? Gentlemen, I told you to put your big boy pants on. Here we go. How are you leading your family? My kids were kind of teasing me today with some text, you know, and I told you what Joseph said to me. Go get them, Dad. But really, the actual words was, let them have it, Dad. <laughs> I tried to clean it up for you. Let them have it, Dad. I said, that's tonight's sermon. I told my wife, I said, you know what? Well, sometimes I wonder if my own kids are ashamed of Dad because he's an independent, fundamentalist, Bible-believing, King James, you know, kind of guy. She said, oh, no, they're not that way. They respect you. She's, they love you, and they, they, think, they think the world of you. And, and I believe they do. But the more people get in the world, the more they don't want what we got. And some of you, 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 think, you think, well, my pastor, just back up a little bit. Let's just forget about shirts and ties, and let's have open collars and go to praise worship. Man, we'll have a place full, and we'll be building and building and building. But just drop this, Pastor. Don't be so dogmatic about that, Pastor. You, you, listen, folks, you don't want that. You, you, I'm telling you, you don't want that, but that's what everybody wants today. Easy believism, comfortable, casual Christianity. I mean, it's Sunday night, man. I just dress casual. Wednesday night, man, I'll... Oh, that's another message. But. Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom, and he didn't realize his leaning towards Sodom eventually got him. What are you leaning towards? Who are you listening to? What are you allowing in your life? Lot's mistake. He looked toward the well-watered plains instead of the Lord. At least to Abraham he should have been looking. He longed after the wrong things. His family was leaning in the wrong direction. They certainly went in the wrong direction. He found himself next, what do we find? Sitting in the, in, in, at the gate of the city. What was that? Folks, that was the city council. He said, man, they like me so much. 
They asked me to sit in the seat of, of the fathers, the, the elders of the city. He becomes such a model citizen through his compromise and through his, through his attitude living in that wicked city that God never told him to go to and Abraham didn't tell him to go to. He chose to go there. And he was so accepted and so power, uh, popular that they said, hey, come sit in the city council with us. But you know what he lost? He lost his integrity. He lost his respect. He lost his testimony. The trouble with leaning the wrong way too often and too long is you're going to go in that wrong direction. Lot lost his testimony. Look, look, what's it, look at Genesis 19. Go to Genesis 19. I'll move on. Genesis chapter 19. They're in Sodom. They've been in Sodom for a little bit now. In Genesis chapter 19, verse 4, the Bible says, But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the, in the men of Sodom, and compassed the house roundabout, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot. Hey, Lot! You in there, Lot? And said unto him, Where are the men which came into thee this day? Remember, he had angels visit him. Bring them out that we may know them. That word know is the same word about Abraham or uh, uh, Adam and Eve knowing each other. These sodomites wanted to have relationship with the men that were in his house. You know the story, God blinded them and all that through the angels. That's a wicked place to raise your family. And Lot says, verse 7, I pray you, brethren, brethren, brethren. How do you call them his brethren? Do not so wickedly. Behold, now I have two daughters which have not known men. Let me, I pray thee, bring them out to you, and do ye to them as good as is good in your own eyes. How in the world can a father save and do something and intend to do something like that? Oh, he's been leaning way too long. Yeah. You'll be surprised what you and I'll do when we're out of fellowship with God. And this is the place I want to get to, chapter 19. Look at verse 14. It says this, And Lot went out, spake unto his son-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. But he seemed as one that, that mocked unto his sons-in-laws. They mocked. They laughed. They said, Oh man, you're You're crazy. What you're going to do, that, that's foolish. They didn't even listen to him. I've got two good son-in-laws, good as they can be as son-in-laws. I thank God for them. I'm glad that the Lord's been merciful to us, gracious to us. The only good thing out of a son-in-law, I think, is grandchildren. You know I'm kidding. But the sons-in-law said, Oh man, you're beside yourself. And it says, and the daughters. His own daughters turned. They wanted to stay in Sodom. They wanted to do like Sodomites. They wanted to live in that environment. So that's the next step. Then we get to another part. Luke chapter 22. Please read there. We only got four points, so you're all halfway through. Endure, endure the end. Luke chapter 22. Next thing I want to talk to you about is disgruntled believers. Believers out of fellowship, disobedient, deluded. And next we see another telltale sign of a believer out of fellowship is they're disgruntled. Luke chapter 22. In verse 54, and they took them and led them and brought him unto the high priest, and Peter followed afar off. This is the description of our Lord's last days before the cross, and they bring him in for a false trial right here. But notice, and Peter followed afar off. See that? And Peter followed afar off. When they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall and were set down together, Peter sat down among them. Kind of reminds me of what Lot did. He's sitting among them, around them. 
Verse 61 says, And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. Peter remembered the word of the Lord. God had told Peter when they were having that upper room meal. He told Peter a lot. He told me, he said, Satan desired to sift you as wheat. He told him that one time. He told, told Peter, he said, get thee behind thee. You're talking like the devil. Remember that time? And he said, you know, Peter, he said, you're going to run into problems, but I have prayed for thee. Peter's an awful lot like me. He's an awful lot like you. Amen? I believe that Peter got disgruntled because the things that the Lord said to him, he got offended with. And then when he went to the cross, he was afraid. He was afraid of God's will. Lord, I'm going to, I'm going to go, what did we learn this morning? I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to be put in the hands of men. I'm going to be, I'm going to be mistreated. I'm going to be killed, but I'll rise again. Remember that? They didn't receive it. And Peter, one time he was talking to the Lord and he, the Lord said, gave some commandments to Peter and he said, not so, Lord. How do you say not so, Lord, in the same sentence? Not so, Lord. Peter was saying, not my will that you do this. Well, Peter, you're not him. Folks, listen, all of us Peters, you're not the Lord. So quit trying to make his decisions for him. We are who we are. We're his children. We're subordinate. We're his servants. We're supposed to go here and go there as he tells us. Amen. But Jesus is arrested in the garden and Peter becomes afraid. And I believe he was offended at some of the things that the Lord said to him. And Jesus had rebuked him. And, and Peter, no doubt, was disappointed. And then there was that look when he lied. And here's where he got. He got so much wanting to be approved by that crowd he was sitting around that he began to curse so they'd say, oh, he can't be one of them. But they said, no, no, he's one of them. His speech betrayeth thee. <laughs> Let me tell you a little secret. Those that you work at, they know who you are and what you are. Quit trying to act like they do. Quit trying to be like, quit trying to have the same political viewpoint that they have. The political correctness. Quit trying to act like you're progressive and you're not. Amen. But where do we see Peter, really, in this story? Luke 22. And I go here because he is a disgruntled believer. He's upset. He's mad. He's got complaints. He's following afar off. Three times the Lord told him, you're going to deny me. No, not me. I won't. I'll go to death with you. Oh, yeah. We know what happened to cock crew. How, but how did Peter get into such a state? He allowed himself, listen now, to get afar off. He allowed himself to get offended. He became a disgruntled, distant disciple of Christ. Not me, preacher. That's never going to happen to me. Oh, yeah? It can happen to any of us. Right set of circumstances. Right set of disappointments. Right, right set of... Of, of, of tragedies that we would call accidents, sorrows, disappointments. You get enough of them, they can get you down if you let them. You think, oh, I'll go to Egypt. Everybody will comfort me there. No, no, no. Go to the Lord. Go to the Lord. He's your comfort. Amen. Don't go down to Egypt. Don't lean in the wrong direction. If things are happening that you don't like, that's a time to get closer to God, not further away from God. But I have seen so many disgruntled believers, distant because they're offended about something. They're hurt by something. But they're the ones that are far off. And this leads me to the last point, and it's a tough one. Hope you can handle it, and I don't mean to be mean. I told my wife, I wish I could come up with another word that would alliterate. You know, us preachers, we've got to alliterate. But... It's a good word because it's going to explain something that might be going on in your heart and mind if we're not careful. Hear me. Those deadbeat believers. Preacher, you just called me a deadbeat. Well, I didn't call you that. But you could become one. How is that? Look at Luke chapter 22, where we're at. 
Look at verse 54. Then they took him and led him and brought him into the high priest's office, and Peter followed afar off. We read that, right? And when they had kindled the fire in the midst of the hall and were set down together, Peter sat down among them. We read that, right? Look at verse 61. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, knowing that uh, how he had said unto him before the cock crew, Thou shalt deny me thrice. But we didn't read verse 62. And Peter went out, and he wept bitterly. It's heartbroken what he's done. And I, I said this before, I, I don't know what it was like, but when Peter denied the Lord, when he cursed, the next thing you know, Peter looks over, and the Lord's locked eyes with him. Oh, that look. Oh, that look. Let me ask you a question. Are you looking toward the Lord tonight or are you looking away? You don't want to look. You know, I'm a preacher. I'm a nobody, but I can tell when people are upset with me because they won't look at me. I go by and shake their hand. They just, hey, preacher, how are you? I'll be preaching up here and I'll look your way and you won't even look at me. Sometimes you see people, they bow their head. They won't even look up. You know why? You don't want to join eyes. And I'm not even your Lord. I'm just the preacher. Amen. Now hear me, the disgruntled believer will find himself a deadbeat. You say, well, what do you mean? If, if you become disobedient and then deluded and then disgruntled, you're going to be a deadbeat before long. How is that preacher? Let me describe these kind of people. And I'm not trying to be hurtful. I'm trying to help you tonight. They get hurt. They get offended. They get embarrassed. They get frustrated. They get bitter. They get angry. And they get more distant day by day. They start missing church. They don't go back to the fellowship hall after we have a fellowship. They get in their car and they go home. And they say things like, well, I got to get up in the morning. We, we got things we got to do. You know, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on a shift. Gets, preacher, I get up at 430 in the morning. I got to go to work. You know why they like to say that to a preacher? Because they think the preacher gets up at 10 or 11 and he's eating bonbons and he's not doing anything. That's why that's said. <laughs> They start missing more and more church. They're out of church more than they're in church. They don't fellowship. They don't go back to the fellowships. And they used to fellowship with other Christians, but they don't fellowship with any Christians anymore. They don't call anybody. They show up every once in a while. They stop going to special services. Come here, Mark Rogers, preaching revival. Are you kidding me? I'm not doing that. God might speak to me. They avoid preaching. They find something else to do within the ministry. They get real busy. They don't want to be in preaching. They don't come to revivals. They don't come to Bible conferences. They might come a night or two. Mission conference? Come on, preacher. Then, they used to go after souls. They used to work on a bus route. They used to go calling on the saints to encourage this one and that one. They don't even go to visitation anymore. They can't even remember the last time I went on visitation. They start missing again more than they're in. Then they resign teaching their class. They quit the choir. They stop helping in master club. They find something else to do and attend. And, and then they start missing midweek services. Probably by this time, that happened a long time. They're out a long time ago with that. Sunday nights. What's happened? They've gotten sidetracked. They're heading for spiritual shipwreck. And here's where the deadbeat point comes in. And I'm not trying to be mean. I'm really not. I prayed over this. I worked on this. I wasn't in a bad mood last week. I don't use God's call to pick on people. You may think I do, but I don't. I believe we need to hear this. Because if you keep going down the same road, you keep leaning in the same direction, you're going to end up a deadbeat Christian. They don't use their gifts that God has given them to function within the church and to glorify him. Paul said this, 1 Corinthians 12, I don't have time, but I'd like to read the whole chapter. But Paul said this in 12.11, But all, all these things worketh that one and selfsame spirit, dividing every man severally as he wills. That, that's not what I was talking about, Paul, but 
The Holy Spirit has given us each gifts. What's your gift? Using your gift? You developing your gift? What's your gift? And you become a deadbeat Christian, a deadbeat believer when you're disobedient, and then you're deluded, and then you're disgruntled. And here's what will happen. You'll sit and stew without realizing that you're full of self, and you have shelved yourself. Because that's what Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians 9, 27. But I keep under my body and bringing this subjection, lest by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. That word castaway means shelved, not used. God's, God's going to use you. And then God says, well, I can't use her. I can't use him. That was Paul's greatest fear. I got one. I don't want to end up one of those preachers that used to preach, used to serve God. I don't want you to hear stories about me. And listen, it could happen. I have a flesh just like you have a flesh. God help us all. That is not my desire. But you know what I see as a preacher sometimes? I see a lot of God's people heading in the wrong direction. And some of you have been heading for a long time. You've been leaning too long. And you will get out. Sad. I run into some of those Christians that get out, and after a while they say, Man, it's so great. I don't feel like I go to church. I don't get beat up. I don't have to listen to the preaching anymore. I don't have to tithe. Look at the extra money we got. I, I don't have to put up with all the foolishness. And for a while, everything go real good. For a while. Because if you're God's child, He's going to whip you, He's going to spank you. And if He never comes after you, maybe you don't even know Him. But I've seen them. And, then I, and here's, here's the truth that's so sad. I've not seen many come back. And those that do, they always have regret. And they look back at the trail. They look back at the carnage of that decision of getting out of fellowship, out of church, distant from God. I don't want to be a castaway. A deadbeat believer is one who will not do their part they will not pay their fair share. They will not take responsibility of their family, their children, their calling, and their gifts allotted to them by God. How many great Christians once served God, and they're out there tonight, they're in their living rooms watching TV, they're, they're sitting at a bar, they're sitting on a stool at a bar. Some of them have been divorced three or four times by now. Kids a wreck. They said, but you don't understand, Pastor. You're wrong. I do. I understand this. The enemy wants to destroy you, and he's doing a pretty good job. And some of you are cooperating with him. You see, famine is hit, and you say, oh, I'm going to go down to Egypt. That's the place I need to be. No, no, you need to crawl up in the lap of God where you need to be. Quit getting mad and quit getting offended and quit saying, I'm sure the pastor was pointing at me tonight. No, but if the shoe fits, I mean, I, I, I'm serious tonight. We're talking about, we're talking about earmarks. We're, we're talking about characteristics. We're talking about, you know, things that may fit. Are you a discouraged Christian? We all get that way sometimes. Don't let yourself become a disobedient Christian. Don't get deluded, fooled. Don't become a fool for Satan. Amen. Don't get disgruntled. You'll end up a deadbeat, not doing much for God at all. Now, I'm going to close with a personal illustration that I've never gotten over all these years. And some of you can relate to it because you know what I'm going to talk about. Some of you won't, but you, you'll get something out of it anyway. I'm going to ask you something tonight with the message I preached. What are you going to do with it tonight? You were here. I didn't make you come. You came. God allowed you to be here. The message was for all of us. You heard it. Now what are you going to do with it? Is somebody here tonight that's disobedient to God? I think there might be, or God would have never told me to preach this. Is there somebody here tonight, you're deluded, you're misled, you're, you're deceived, you're... You're acting foolish. 
I'm not calling you a fool. The Bible says you're not supposed to do that. I'm saying you're acting foolish. Could there be a disgruntled believer here tonight, easily offended, allowing themselves to be too sensitive? That happens. Is there anybody here tonight that maybe you've become deadbeat more than you realize you're out of service, you're not doing anything for God, you're really not doing much for God anything? I'll close with this illustration. My pastor got out of church over an offense and a disagreement that he had in his local church, and he was out of church for three years. Lanny Hasbrook. He got upset, he got mad, Now I won't go into what happened, but he got upset with the preacher, he got upset with the church, and he, he told, I'm not going to church anymore, and he said to his wife, Karen, you're not going either of the kids, and for three years, my preacher got out of church. He went, to back, he went back to living a worldly life, he got angry, then he got bitter, then he got real backslid in three years. He told me this. Some of you know this story. But thank God there was a man in the church that loved him. And that man would call him, and that man would write him, and that man would drop by sometimes. It made Lanny mad. He avoided this man. He told this man off several times. And if you knew my preacher, you know how he could be with people when he didn't use bad language. I wouldn't have wanted to met him when he had the bad language, okay? But the man never gave up on Brother Lanny. That man's name was Joe Brown. He was a member at uh, Parker Memorial Baptist Church in Lansing. Joe Brown prayed, and he talked, and he talked some more, and he pleaded, and he wept in three years. He came by at the right time with the right words, with the right spirit, and Lanny got right with God. You know, Lanny really got right with God because he went back to church and he apologized to the pastor, he apologized to the church publicly. You know what he did? He went to the bank and borrowed money to pay back three years' tithe. Now that's getting right. Somebody's right, no, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> no, I know you won't. But if you got right with God, you might. And then he announced his call to preach. Quit his job. Had a good job. He was a skilled tradesman. He went off to Bible college to do God's will with his life. He ended up pastoring a church in Tennessee, right, while he was going to school. And then, by the sovereign will of God, he came to Parkview Baptist Church. He pastored here for 13, 14 and a half years. He put a great foundation under this church. He turned the hearts of many people toward the Lord. A little young couple came in here, 19 years of age, named Stephen Pam Brown. They didn't know nothing, but the pastor took an interest in them and loved them, visited them, rebuked them. He saw, he saw some gifts in me, and he, allowed, he gave me opportunity. And I want to tell you something. I thought about this yesterday. If Lanny hadn't got right, where would I be today? Where would some of you be today? Where would this church be today? You know, he's been dead for 20 years. 21 years. He still affects me. I'm so glad that Lanny got right. I'm so glad that he realized he was a believer out of fellowship. I'm so glad there was a man named Joe Brown that loved him and cared about him, even though he got cussed out and yelled at and door slammed in his face. Here's my question. This brings me to my final thought. It really is my final thought. We heard this message. What are we going to do with it? We heard this message. What are we going to do? with this people that are out of fellowship with God. Oh, I'll tell you what we ought to do, preacher. I just forget about them. They went their way. They went their way. I don't care if they ever come back. Look how messed up they are. Look at the things they've done. Look at the things they've said. Who cares if they ever get right with God? We don't want them here. Is that, 
Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one. Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Ain't not one person in this room outside of the grace of God would be where you're at today. Amen. So tonight, are you a believer out of fellowship? So preacher, I'm here. That don't mean you're not right with that don't mean you're right with God. Amen. Are you disobedient? What, what area are you disobedient? So I'm just not going to do that. Well, don't do it. That's what you look like. I don't lean over too much. I'll hurt myself. Some of you are leaning way over. Have you become a deluded Christian? You, you come to church, I'm okay, I'm okay. You're fooling yourself. Have you gotten to the place of disgruntled? You're disgruntled? Conversation with other people. You don't know what happened. You don't know what someone said. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know how I feel. You preach sometimes, and the subjects you preach on, they hurt me. Believers out of fellowship get hurt with preaching. But let me say something. You need preaching. That's why I say some of our leaders here, you know, I'm trying to balance things. We get some people doing so many things and other people not doing it, trying to balance some things. And I'm convinced if you're not careful and you do, 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 go, 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 cover, 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 lead, 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 and you don't get any preaching, you're not getting enough preaching, you're going to be. And I care about that. I need preaching. I go to preacher's meetings to get pre. I, get, I get, go to preacher's meeting to get yelled at. Because I need it. My son Steve said to me, Dad, take it easy, your heart and everything. Don't, don't, don't scream too much. And I texted him back. I said, Steve, I don't scream. I give relevant talks. <laughs> and then he said, well, don't do it this morning. I said, I'm not. I'm going to have a very passionate, relevant talk tonight. But no screaming. Isn't that funny how our world is today? So many think that anybody raises their voice a little bit to be passionate about what they're preaching. They're yelling. They're screaming. Yeah. So you didn't hear a yelling, screaming message. You heard a relevant talk tonight. I hope it's relevant. Hey, how you leaning? You see any of the characteristics that I preached on tonight in you? I don't want to be a deadbeat. I want to be used of God mightily. And I'll tell you something. I'm so glad, I'm so glad, I'm so glad that somebody cared for my preacher when he was out of God's will. And he wasn't even my preacher yet. I never met the man. But I'm glad he got right and he came and he affected my life. Amen? So what are we going to do with these people that are disgruntled? They're not in church. What are we going to do with them that are deluded? What are we going to do with them that they're deadbeats? They're not using their gifts for God. They're, they're out of church. They're not serving. What are we going to do with them? Just ah, forget about them. Who's, who's God putting on your heart tonight to talk to? Send a note to. Make a phone call. Text. Try to get back in church. Amen. I'll close this illustration several years ago. This guy was down. And old Bartimaeus would call him and say, hey, hey, Mark, come help me with the hunters. Didn't he? I don't think they'd be sitting here today. Matter of fact, you probably wouldn't even be married. That happened before you ever met this guy. Aren't you glad somebody cared? Huh? Pretty good thing, isn't it? Look how handsome he is. It's not... <laughs> I'm not going to say what I heard, but <laughs> folks, let's go get them. Amen. Let's pray. Let's be kind. They don't need to be reminded what a deadbeat they are. Don't, don't, don't tell them, oh yeah, preacher preached on deadbeats and I thought of you. <laughs> don't do it. That was a message for us tonight. Amen. 
some of you tonight are leaning in the wrong direction and you have leaned for a long time. Why don't you run to God tonight? Why don't you just get right? Why don't you say, I'm done with this foolishness? Get back in and serve the Lord. Let's bow our heads if we would. Every head bowed. <clears throat> Every one of us affects someone else in our lives. If we love people and they're not right with God, are they looking at you and seeing you right with God, serving the Lord with fervency, or do they see you up and down, in and out? Father, please do a work tonight that I cannot do. Please, God. Lord, we want to have a church that's full of your people, full of you and full of praise and service to God. Do a work, Lord, in our hearts tonight. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Brother Tom, what number? 816. 816. Let's stand if we will. Let's not give up on those that are not right with the Lord. Let's go after them. Let's love them more. Brother Tom.